0: So Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
0: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every day wherever you get your podcasts hello man fans Ollie man here you may be wondering why does this episode carry the prefix 2 one uh, perhaps you might guess it is a tribute to the surprisingly high grade I managed to scrape by in my degree given the quality of my thinking uh, no it is actually because this is season two episode one of the modern man We are back hooray uh, double hooray because it is spring uh, the sun is out. Uh, sporadically. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm speaking to you from my garden at Man HQ. Sun on my face, tits in the background, uh, so that accounts for any bird song you can hear. I-, I hope you had a lovely three months since we last spoke. It's been pretty busy for me. Uh, I suppose Ronan Keating would term my life a roller coaster. Uh, in January, I became a dad, which is amazing. My lovely son, Harvey, he's completely changed my life. Uh, But also the uh, sleepless nights have definitely reduced my ability to quip intelligently. I hope that doesn't show in this edit. Uh, Then in February, just a week after my son was born, my my dad died suddenly. uh, He wasn't ill or anything like that. It was just really, really sudden. So that was a massive shock and obviously... Obviously pretty full-on. And then in March, I lost my job. Uh, I'm no longer in possession of a weekly radio slot, although I hope that's going to change very soon. Uh, So, yeah, I could do with a quiet April, really, if that's okay. Uh, And what what could be more stabilising than returning to your ears on a weekly basis with another run of 10 Magnificent Episodes of this podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about the interviews we've got lined up, actually. Ollie Peart is back on board. Alex Fox is back on board. And we've been inspired to come back for another season because you have all been so generous in donating to the show. Uh, If you've done that, thank you. If you've left us a five-star review on iTunes, thank you for that. Uh, And if you are as excited as I am about this new series, please tell your friends on social media. Use the hashtag... MM2, uh, as in the Roman numerals for 2002. Hashtag MMII. Uh, right, we are uh, hitting the ground running, I think, with this episode. You are going to learn the top three ways to regenerate your foreskin. You're going to discover what it's like to be publicly shamed for being out of your head. And you'll find out how you can assist the man about to receive a bionic bumhole. <laughs> it's good to be back.
1: On
2: this week's Modern Man... Walk more sexy. Sexy but angry. Which is a very confusing (laughs) two emotional states to try and reconcile. I'm tutored in the art
0: of male modelling by the man who was once Britain's most hated student.
1: I met Dane Bowers once. It was all I could think about, where his foot had been.
0: And Alex Fox dips her toe into the murky waters of circumcision. But first it is your essential guide to all the hot trends of the week that you'd otherwise be completely oblivious to, like some kind of functioning idiot. And the man with his finger on the pulse is Ollie Peart. Olly Peart, hello. Hello. How's your finger? Uh pointing. What are the top trends of the week, Oli Pitt? Fear. Right? Nothing yeah. new
3: there. No. Indulge me for just a moment. Right? For just a moment. Eleven yeah. episodes in. Politics. Ollie was a once respectable profession where the worst thing your politician could do was purchase a duck house on taxpayers' money. But now, those golden days, they're gone. You're looking at me confused. Well, I'm waiting to see where you're going with this. We live in a time, Ollie, yeah, where you or I could be annihilated by a psychopathic basketball fan, senior to me by only two years, or be blown to smithereens by vulnerable brainwashed youngsters as the country's terrorism threat level stands at severe. This we this suddenly at... become Welcome to Night Vale? No, I'm just... completely lost. No, just hear me out. Uh-huh. Just hear me out. We live at a time, Ollie, mm. where a man with a flattened guinea pig on his head and the mental age of my shoe size... Is this is... you doing
0: your Trump material?
3: Wait, no, no, no look, hear me out? Holy hell. No, Have you making... seen
0: John Oliver on the internet?
3: And Brexit. I was going to add a joke about croissants in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, all is forgiven. I, I reclaim what I said.
3: Anyway, I want yeah. to talk to you about politics of fear. Cause Bor- a big Boris thing. has
0: got funny hair too. <clears throat>
3: Yeah, well, yeah, he does have funny hair. But that that wasn't the question, Jake. It was just, yeah, but whatever. Uh I want to talk about politics of fear. We've got Brexit, Trump and all that kind of stuff. It is a trend. I think that's fair. So for Brexit, uh, for those of you that don't know, Brexit is uh, a referendum that we're having in summer that will determine whether or not Britain wants to leave or stay in the EU. Mm. Right. So I thought I'd do some actual journalism. Yeah, well, I'll be the judge of that. Uh, You hear lots of opinions on Brexit coming from, okay, these big companies think this, this person thinks this, and the arguments are, I mean, it's all a bit of a mess in my head. I don't really know which way to go. So I thought I would ring around some companies that you probably haven't heard their view on Brexit to see what they think. The voice... Of Britain. The Financial Times
0: has been doing this, Ollie Pitt. What? You know, I know you're trying to cut through here. I bet you they haven't the people I've called. Probably not. I mean, we know what the chief executive of BP thinks and what the chief executive of Marks and Spencer thinks. Who have you spoken to?
3: Exactly. Halfords. (laughs) Right, so I gave Halfords a call. Uh Uh-huh. They said, we'll call you back or email you. Yeah. So they emailed me and they said, hey, Ollie, this isn't one for us right now. That's what they think. Right. Okay. I've got a few here.
0: Yeah.
3: I emailed Carpet (laughs) Right. Yeah. Nothing, no answer. Really? No response. Disgrace,
0: and, really. Well, I imagine a lot of fabric comes from uh, Italy, for example.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Juicens, no answer. <laughs> West Cornwall Pastico left them a message, no response.
0: Yeah, the West Cornwall Pastico, I think, will want to uh, have Brexit. Because it- they want to be independent from us. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't they? It's the first step to an independent Cornwall, number yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Number two, I imagine all of their ingredients are sourced locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't want any of those French croissants coming over here and stealing our pasties. Damn right, Delice de France, go away. Exactly. <laughs> I rang WH Smith. I mean, they've got a lot of other concerns. Frankly, but- you know, change that carpet, sort out your lights, stop giving away water with the telegram.
3: <laughs> oh my I hate the what? fact
0: that they're the, the leading news agent in this country because they're so depressing. You go in the shops and they're really depressing
3: and they don't sell what you want. I think you're going to hate what they said then.
0: Did they say, we'll give you the answer if you buy a giant whole nut for a pound?
3: <laughs> no, I wish they did say that. They, did they said, say? no comment, but we might comment later. But as yet, they haven't.
0: <laughs> we might comment in a year's time and yeah. pretend it's a magazine they and, and sell it as if it's a magazine, but it's actually a book that we
3: publish. Screwfix. They told me to email. Did no answer. Mm. Innocence movies emailed no answer. Cash converters emailed no answer. Majestic Wine Warehouse called them no answer. EasyJet they were going to send through the details. He said yeah fine we'll do a couple of lines on that. Gave him my email address. I think they spelt my name with a D because he didn't write it back. So they haven't actually got back to me. Big companies <sighs> and I thought I'm having no luck. Yeah. I'm going to ring some local businesses.
0: Oh, I don't want to know what Raj's newsagent said.
3: No Tolly Patisserie Kentish Town. Do uh-huh. you want to hear what they said?
0: Actually, have you ever been to Tolly's Patisserie? No, is it good? It's great. I used to go there for lunch every day when I worked in Kentish Town. Big. Show- Shout out to Tollies. Never thought I'd ever get to say that.
3: Okay, well, do you want to hear what he said?
0: I think they're going to be pro. They want to stay in because there's a lot of Italian food there.
3: Yeah, well, I I don't want to jump to conclusions, but he sounded Italian, so (laughs) I presume he's Italian. And he said, it's like a marriage. I don't want to force anyone into anything. If you want to be single, then you should leave. But if you want to stay friends... Stay in.
0: So there you go. So the Ollie Pitt solution to the politics of fear is to ring around <laughs> the independent Italian owners of patisseries in the uh, greater London region and just ask them whether or not they feel attached to their mother country.
3: I just wanted to see what people think because I don't feel like I'm getting those answers from the news because it is a rhetoric of fear. Yeah. I just want to know what everybody else
0: thinks. Well, good. I'm sure everyone feels really informed now. We know what uh, Screwfix thinks. Uh, what else have you got for us, Ollie? Tay. Tay.
3: Tay is an artificial intelligent... Twitter chatbot.
0: Oh, this is the Microsoft fucking things up story. Yes. I saw this. This was hilarious.
3: Okay, so you know quite a bit about this then.
0: Microsoft created an AI chatbot on Twitter and then it went Nazi.
3: Yeah, a chatbot aimed at 18 to 24 year olds and it just went mad.
0: But the point was to demonstrate the AI capability of Microsoft's labs, right? They were saying look, we can have a computer that will learn from 14 and 15 year old girls basically. Yeah. And then talk in their style to other people that want to interact with it and look how human it is. And then it started saying things that were politically objectionable. But then people asked it things like, do you believe the Holocaust ever happened? Exactly, yeah. There's not really a right answer to that in 140 characters, apart from yes.
3: But what they did do is demonstrate their capability of AI, didn't they? They did a very good job of that, and it wasn't very good. But the game I wanted to play was Tay versus k as in Katie Hopkins, right? right. So, wow, you've,
0: this is, you've come on leaps and bounds in this series, Ollie.
3: You look perplexed by my preparations. No, 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 yeah, you've been
0: prepped. You've called around press offices, you've read about politics, and now you're going to play a game you've actually researched.
3: Well, Matt told me off, the producer, for not like preparing last time, so I thought I'd do that. But basically, I thought, I'll try and find the closest person on Twitter to what Tay is tweeting and see if you could spot the difference between the tweets. Love it. Okay, first one. I don't believe a fetus is a baby.
0: I suspect Katie Hopkins is not particularly pro-choice, so I think that would be Tay.
3: Kate. Is it Kate? It's Kate. Okay. I'm K-tay. How about this one? Life expectancy in Scotland for birth, oh uh, seven oh eight, is fifty nine point five. Goodness me, that lot will do anything to avoid working until retirement.
0: That's definitely Kate.
3: That's Kate. Yeah. Hopkins at the big Brabowski. Ricky Gervais learnt totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism.
0: That would be Tay. That's Tay. Because it makes no sense. Yeah, and it sounds a bit like something someone would write on Twitter. So exactly,
3: the point is, it's actually really easy to tell the difference, Mm. isn't it? Mm. I mean, yes, she's tweeting really offensive, horrible stuff, but ultimately, the artificial intelligence that they've created is
0: terrible. No, but that's you—you can't judge it at this stage because the whole point was for it to. The longer that that had stayed active, it would have got more and more accurate. The the only problem is that it's a sort of devastating critique of of Twitter and what people write on Twitter, isn't it? That after five days, it it ended up being a complete neo-Nazi.
3: Oh, it was horrific. Yeah, it was tweeting some stuff because I tried to get some of her other tweets and quite frankly, they're way too (laughs) offensive for us to even begin to utter.
0: And finally, Ollie Pierce, what has been uh, prodding you in the zeitgeist of uh, Trendbrain?
3: Hashtag my final poops. Right. An ex-colleague of mine uh, called Paul, suffers from Crohn's disease. So, you heard of Crohn's disease? I have. Uh, it's really horrible. Over 300,000 people are affected by it in the UK. I've heard
0: of it, but I don't really know what it is. It's something in your bowels, is it? Yeah. It's like IBS, isn't it? You're yeah, like, constantly in pain. and. But it's
3: really bad. So, right. you get like blood in your poo and right. it hurts. You know, you can't control when you go and that kind of stuff. He's having an operation on the 21st uh. to have what he's calling a bionic bumhole fitted wow yeah so he's having part of his intestine removed and then a uh, bit of a new one put in and he had this idea where for his sort of last month or so as somebody with their own bowels mm. uh he wanted to set up a thing called my final poops where he pooped in the best most exclusive incredible historically relevant exclusive toilets you could think of oh, in london great stuff okay, okay. and um it started off as a joke at first but then all the newspapers started picking it up and I want to see if our listeners will help him on his quest.
0: So you, if you know somewhere that's a particularly ornate or beautiful or historic toilet that this man could poo in, yes, then be in touch.
3: Exactly. And for example, but it's, but
0: it's not just you've got preferably somewhere that you've got access to, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, if quite. we have a listener who works in St. Paul's or something.
3: He's given some examples. So like a celebrity toilet. So it's oh. just someone's house that's a yeah. celebrity. That'd be really good. Uh, one of the ones they're trying to sort out at the moment is in the Royal Albert Hall. You know, the Queen's got her own little toilet. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't.
0: To- I'm saying yes. Did she, Does she? That's She's amazing. Got her
3: own toilet. Well, it's got to have an, a quote, a wow factor from him. Yeah. And the, the, he's doing it. He's not just doing it because he wants to poo in nice places. He's actually raising money for charity. All right. So he's getting sponsored to do. Um, but what we're really looking for is as many of these toilets as possible. So he's had one already. In the shard. On the top floor the, of the shard. With, yeah, and you get a nice nice view. Amazing. P-W. Yeah, exactly.
0: And... I wonder if that's a massive long drop down to the sewer.
3: <laughs> just one big pipe all the way down. Just that's hits a YouTube the bottom. video I would
0: watch. Yes. The journey your poo goes on in the shard.
3: That'd be incredible. Yeah, yeah where does it go? Where does it go? Surely it would fall a fair distance. Well, hmm.
0: You see, without your research, you're nothing.
3: <laughs> this is you struggling around to
0: understand the most basic of plumbing questions.
3: No, but it's not a basic plumbing question. If somebody it said, is. how do you plumb in a toilet at the top of a skyscraper? Yeah, I would, It's that's... the
0: same as putting it in on the third floor, isn't it? It's a big pipe. No. Yes plumbers. Gravity Tweet. plus
3: pipes. I don't believe it is. I believe there will be something intricate involved.
0: <laughs> well, if you are the plumber that installed the toilets in the shard, or if you have a suggestion for where Paul can go and take one of his final dumps, then uh, do reach out to us on Twitter.
3: At the modern man and hashtag MyFinalPoops. Plural. He made a point of that. <laughs> it's got to be plural.
0: Excellent. Ollie, see you next week.
3: See you next week. <laughs>
0: Imagine being, forever, followed around by something stupid that you did when you were 20 years old. My guest this week, the writer and activist Charlie Gilmore, made headlines for all the wrong reasons when he was photographed swinging from the Cenotaph War Memorial during the student protests of 2010. But nowadays, you're more likely to see him parading the latest men's fashions as a male model. Uh, this surprising new string to his bow has all happened really recently, just in the last three months. So I wanted to catch up with him and ask, while it's all still fresh in his mind, about those first steps onto the catwalk and how he got to be a male model. This is Charlie's
2: story. It was at a party just before Christmas. It's quite a kind of crowded and drunken gallery opening and this quite short woman was just staring at me very intensely from across the room and so I said uh do we know each other and she said no you don't know me but I think you're very very beautiful would you like to be a model wow and I sort of uh blushed and said well you know are are, are you sure uh and she said yes yes definitely would you like to come for a casting and some test shots tomorrow
0: that doesn't happen
2: that doesn't happen in real life those are the stories you hear about (laughs) well yeah it happened I said I'm sorry I can't really do tomorrow I'm giving a, a speech on, on prison reform and she said oh that's, that's so interesting are, are you a lawyer? and I said no um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an ex-convict um, and she looked a bit shocked and then said oh well you know we'll try and work out a time um, So she wasn't put off by that? No strangely not I suppose I don't really look like an ex-convict
0: And in a way it adds a little bit of extra mystique doesn't it? Yes, maybe. (laughs) I mean, have you found since you started doing the modelling, and we'll we'll talk about your your past as a convict, as you say, in a moment, have you found that actually having that notoriety, essentially when people Google your name, there's this other whole element to your story. uh, Do you think that has actually
2: helped or hindered you? Um, I mean, I think the reason that I enjoy the part of my life in which I model is that it's kind of totally divorced from your story or who you are or any personality that you may or may not have it's just you and basically your body and whether you can kind of look down a camera and pretend that you hate everyone and everything which is kind of the the face that you're meant to pull it's just like total boredom or total hatred <laughs> um
0: so actually is- when she said uh you know she, when she didn't seem to be bothered uh b- by your history there. Mm. It, it perhaps wasn't my explanation of her thinking, Oh great, you know, I've got one in the bag here that's got, you know, two things going for him. You know, I like the look of him and he's got this interesting history. It might be a genuine complete ambivalence to it because it's just about what you're physically projecting.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it, it you know, I think I was speaking to a, a a casting director when I was in Paris. He was a, 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 ca- a casting director for, for quite a big Parisian fashion house which I will not name. Um, and he said the mistake a lot of models make, and it's very annoying. He said this is the most annoying thing is that they come into a casting and they say, hello, I'm Charlie, how are you? And he says it doesn't make any difference who they are, what they're interested in, we don't care, they're just, how did he put it? He said, we're making art and they're just another (laughs) brushstroke.
0: And you find that quite liberating in a way, because your name does have quite a lot of baggage,
2: doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually find it very liberating that people don't even care what my first name is, never mind uh, my second name or, or what I've done or not done.
0: So you are, I think it's fair to say, most famous for dangling from the cenotaph uh, in a picture that the Daily Mail would say shocked Britain back in 2010, mm. uh, which was part of the student riots yeah. slash protests yeah. for which ultimately you ended up going to, to prison.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah.
0: What happened that day? What were you doing on the senator?
2: Hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a very hard thing to, to talk about, but essentially, um, I mean, thinking back to to 2010, um, it was, and I think people sometimes forget this, but it was this kind of very optimistic moments in radical politics that the coalition government had just come to power and this kind of seemed to really uh, give a boost to the radical student movement. I think maybe 20 plus universities went into occupation up and down the country and I found this very exciting but unfortunately at the same time I was also going through some quite intense personal things with my estranged father Uh, and started doing quite a lot of drugs and so um, and so you're off your tits and so on the morning of that protest kind of most of the people had been up all night you know making banners and planning the routes and working out their carefully planned direct actions and I unfortunately had just been up all night taking, well actually up for three days just taking drugs and so on the day of the protest what happened happened and you became, briefly,
0: and, and that's the thing about the internet, isn't it? Is it's always there on Google, but of yeah. course it, was in, it, it would be yesterday's vision chip paper otherwise. Yeah. You came briefly sort of tabloid scourge
2: of the nation. Yeah. That must have felt very difficult to deal with. It was very unfair on my family, I think, because they really had no say in it, and they're, they're quite private people particularly my mother. I mean, despite the fact that it was kind of me who had done the things that I'd done, my mother really came in for a lot of personal attacks in the media and on social media. A lot of it was very strange, actually. I remember a lot of kind of evisceration fantasies where people had. I mean, just the misogyny of some of the attacks was very strange. Um, One of the most intense kind of demands and, and a strangely common demand that that people on social media would make was that um, my mother's womb should be cut out, which is obviously unpleasant, but it's also quite strange. You know, it's kind of almost like trying to shut the barn door 21 years after the horse has fled. Um, (laughs) I mean, I mention all this because
0: I'd imagine with that as your background... yeah when this model scout approaches you at a party and says, right, you you know, I think you're gorgeous, why don't you come a model? Mm. In the back of your mind, aren't you thinking, actually, no, I don't really want to do anything in the public eye, thank you.
2: For a very, very long time after that, I really didn't want to do anything in the public eye. But I guess time is a wonderfully healing thing. So what happened next? So then we made some pictures their website and then they said okay you're going to be sent to uh paris fashion week and Bloody hell
0: so you were represented by an agent that quickly that easily they took the pictures they were happy yep yeah we're sending you to paris that was it
2: basically what happens do you have to pay your own airfare and whatever well that is uh, that is a somewhat contentious issue actually i imagined that everything would be paid for uh by the agency but it turns out they actually pay for it but they take what they pay for out of your future earnings. Mm-hmm. Just so for going to an
0: audition, for going to a casting?
2: For Yeah, so for, for going to a casting and castings in Paris, they kind of pay for your train and for the hotel. And then when you earn money, they keep lots of the money.
0: And you say it's contentious, but I mean, presumably, most people when they
2: sign up, they're 15, 16 years old, they're happy to be represented. They're not contending it. No, they don't care. I mean, they're just happy to be in Paris. I mean as a 16, 17, 18 year old just having a week in Paris is probably the first time they've ever been out of their family home I mean they're having an absolute ball they're having the time of their lives I mean a lot of people as a parliamentary committee is currently debating whether or not under 18s should be banned from the catwalks um, for their own health and safety and I think with female models there might actually be there are much more Pressures on female models than male models, but the young male models who are 18 and under are having the best time <laughs> in the world. They kind of go to parties, you know, secretly drinking free drinks, being told that they're beautiful. They might not be having sex, but they're definitely quite loudly saying that they're having sex. Mm. You know, at the kind of end of Fashion Week, our agent takes everyone out and and gives them a big, proper, hearty meal with vegetables and three types of meat and loads of couscous and rice and just to make sure everyone's actually eating eating and getting nutrition. Um, not because people are starving themselves, just because they're teenagers who have never left home before and they can't look after themselves. Um, I mean, yeah, if you want to find a model during fashion week anywhere just go to the local McDonald's and you'll see them because that's <laughs> all they know. I mean the cliche is that
0: there's a lot of drugs going on behind the scenes in the fashion mm, industry. Yeah. I imagine that cliche is true.
2: Yes I, I, would, I would say it, it, it probably is is true although you know they are also just naughty teenagers and naughty teenagers tend to like drugs um, but when we went to Paris for the pre-castings um, which is where you spend four days just going to castings and there aren't any shows. Um, whenever my brothers in Garms uh, <laughs> would have a, a spare moment, you know, some of them would, would go off to art galleries. Not that many. Uh, others made an exped- expedition to Jim Morrison's grave to plaster it with pictures of themselves. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, as as one does. It's what he would have wanted. And then others uh, would go off and try and score drugs. What did they um, do when they got the drugs? they did as many of them as they can and then because we were going to be staying in the same hotel next time we came back to Paris they hid them in a plant pot in the hotel not thinking that in the time that we were away there was a possibility that the plant might need to be watered (laughs) Uh, and when they came back they were very very sad that their drugs were all wet
0: so you're in Paris, mm. uh, you've got this chance to be a model, you're going mm-hmm. to a casting, but you've never actually modelled
2: before, so how do you uh, be a model? I mean, walking, you would imagine, is a, is a very simple activity that one does every day. That is an incorrect belief. <laughs> walking is a very difficult and stressful, horrible, unpleasant experience. And um, my sister works in fashion. We were on a family holiday just before Paris Fashion Week, and she was kind of schooling me, making me walk up and down in front of my entire family, uh, kind of shouting, no, walk more sexy, sexy but angry, Uh, which is is a very confusing (laughs) two kind of emotional states to try and reconcile while walking in front of one's entire family. But actually it was a very, very good practice for the kind of emotional intensity of going to 20 castings a day, possibly, and being forced to do that in front of total strangers who just kind of raise their eyebrows and then send you on their way without telling you whether you've been good or bad or terrible okay so you've got
0: a gig yeah you were called back to paris to be in in what show it
2: was a skatewear brand Um, (laughs) the casting for which was in the charlie Hebdo building Um, which I don't think they knew when they booked it. I think they just saw that it was a place that you could rent out for quite cheap, Yes. but maybe didn't ask why it was cheap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to get in, I kind of had to creep past this huge pile of roses and kind of sneak past weeping mourners who were there.
0: Yeah, that's not going to put you in
2: sexy, angry mode. Not really, no. It It was very bad vibes, actually, at the casting, and also very strange that we were just kind of trying on golden scarves that went down to the floor and kind of flouncing around in skatewear inside this building where I can't remember how many people died but but quite a few Mm. it kind of underlined the, the frivolity of the whole expedition I think we had to just wait in a cold corridor for about two hours and then people would kind of file in one by one some people would be sent out after two seconds because they were just told no you're not right and others would be photographed and they're trying some clothes and then you come back for a fitting and then if the clothes fit and they think you fit the look you do the show but you don't really know whether you're doing the show or not until possibly the night before which for me is very frustrating because i'm a bit of a control freak i like knowing what i'm doing and why i'm doing it and and what the thing that i'm doing is um and the terrible thing about this show was that they got us all dressed up in these clothes We were lining up and the soundtrack came on and it was the sound of bombs going off (laughs) and then a remix of bob marley's exodus movement of the people (laughs) and it was then that i realized that i was about to participate in a fashion tribute to the refugee crisis and there was nothing i could do about it because i'd already signed the contract i just had to walk pose and then stand on a platform and try not to actually look like i was cringing (laughs) sounds tasteful Mm.
0: Um, so you were a refugee in the fashion show but wearing
2: clown shoes and a
0: presumably very expensive
2: gold scarf what does that mean? I have absolutely no idea I mean somehow the designers got away with it fashion and politics often are are blended together in, in, in quite poorly thought out ways
0: yeah So, okay, before the Bob Marley fires up on the stereo, Mm. you're
2: backstage, how many hours does it take to get ready? I think we arrived at six in the morning. No And this was actually the lovely part. Before this, everyone had just been treated like shits, you know. You kind of travel half the way across town to be told that you don't look Scottish enough for this particular brand, and then you have to travel all the way back across to the other side of town to be just sent away or... Um, but this, you kind of arrive at six in the morning and they greet you with fresh orange juice and special little snacks and then kind of uh, three people all massage your scalp, and, uh, wow. your scalp and kind of wash your hair and then do your makeup and it's all very lovely and you get pampered. You're a princess for the um, day. You're, exactly, you're a princess for the day. It's, it's, <laughs> it's wonderful.
0: Uh, if you've got a big campaign, I mean, that's what male models tend to want, isn't it? They want to be the face of Calvin Klein or yeah. whatever it is. Uh, how would you feel about that? If your face became associated with someone else's name and product? Mm. The one
2: that would really be very strange would be if it was Top Man or Top Shop, because one of the things that I did while I was out of my head uh, during that kind of anti-austerity student protest slash riots was join a gang of masked anarchists who were destroying... Topshop's flagship store, kind of ripping its guts out, and I kind of flounced along, and I think might have uh, aimed a, a somewhat pathetic kick uh, at the window. So, if that job came along, I would feel somewhat conflicted, and You're I feel a hypocrite. like uh, somewhat hypocritical. Yes, yeah. I, I think. I mean, I think if they 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 probably wouldn't hire me for that job considering my history. Um, so, I don't think I'd ever be in that position, but. I mean all money's dirty money, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and whilst we're on the
0: subject of dirty money, if you are able to support this show by buying us a beer, I'd really appreciate that. The average price of a pint in Britain is £3.31, about five US dollars. Just visit modernman.co.uk and click Beer Money to pledge us that amount each month, or as often as you can afford. Big thanks to those who have bought us beers whilst we were away. There are actually too many of you to read out all your names this week because it's been 14 weeks' worth of donations. But thank you, and the roll call resumes next week. You're all helping make this show happen. Cheers. It's the last section of the show, and so tradition dictates. It is time for the foxhole. And as ever, I am joined by our love guru, Alex Fox. Alex, thank how are you? Thank
1: you for clambering into my hole once again. It's Ollie. a pleasure.
0: It's always a pleasure. For newbies, we should explain this is the portion of the show whereby listeners can submit a sex-based question and Alex will use her sex expertise to answer it. But before we get to that, Alex, tell us what you've been up to whilst we've been off air i understand you've been in japan i have and you met a modern man listener in japan
1: i did i felt so famous i was in a wrestling themed bar at the time of course um, eating this sausage that had been kind of uh, coiled up and then hung on a bit of wire so that it looked like a cobra about to attack me and i was chatting to this fella who um then stopped me mid-conversation and went hang on you're you're alex fox from the foxhole
0: was he japanese
1: No. (laughs) Was he a tourist? He was a tourist.
0: Well, hello man who was in a Japanese bar around uh, Alex's coiled serpent food. Uh, Thanks for listening. What else did you get up to whilst you were there?
1: I went to Kyoto. I went to Rabbit Island, which really should be my spiritual home. It's not an island full of vibrators. It's actually an island full of rabbits. Yeah,
0: I've heard about that.
1: The island used to be completely secret. It wasn't on maps and everything, because during the war it was used um, as a base for manufacturing poison gas. Then after the war that was all destroyed and everyone went away and, and left it and hung their heads about the whole shemang and meanwhile someone's pet rabbits legend has it were left on the island and um reproduced in massive amounts and now they're they're really tame
0: but let's be clear you went there simply because it's got the same name as a vibrator yes well that's what she's been up to let's find out what you've been up to sex wise this is a question the first of the series and it is from john who says i was circumcised at age 10 wowzers Better to get it done very quickly, in my experience. Uh, for medical rather than religious reasons. Uh, I've never thought too much about it once the site itself had healed. Uh, recently, though, I was in Washington, D.C., whilst the annual meeting of the American Society of Pediatricians was going on. Nice bit of contextual detail. And there was a group of protesters outside the conference venue claiming that circumcision is genital mutilation and that the foreskin has 15 important functions that are denied to circumcised men. Uh, Is there any validity to these claims, or are they drumming up outrage where none needs to exist? Alex, does a foreskin really do 15 things? And if it's that important, can and should it be reconstructed this is interesting this because you know he's asking the circumcision question which is fine the reconstruction question that's quite controversial isn't it so let's get to that last let's deal with the the role of the foreskin first
1: well the, the, some of the most important things that the foreskin does for a start uh, when you're a baby it protects your entire penis from um, the ammonia in urine and from contamination by faeces mm-hmm. so it does serve a purpose when you're very young As as you go through life, it protects the tissues at the end of the penis, the glands. It keeps it moist, which some physicians have argued plays a part in making sure that sex is comfortable for both a man and a woman. And that gliding motion of the foreskin pulling back as well has been purported to, to make sex more comfortable for both parties. Plus, it plays a really big role in sensation and pleasure for the man there are theories that the feeling of the foreskin moving back and forth plays a, plays a really important role in triggering orgasm.
0: So, right, so this is thing: I've lived my whole life, well, not my whole life, after six days as a circumcised male. I have not noticed any lack of sexual feeling in my sexual experience, but of course I don't know any different. What is the thing, if you can put it into words, that I'm missing that I would be getting through an orgasm with a foreskin, do you think?
1: Now, this is a big argument. Different medical professionals disagree on this. There are those who say that because after circumcision, the foreskin has been removed, the glands, the end of the penis, becomes tougher and drier and more exposed, that it's it's desensitised. And it can take circumcised men uh longer to orgasm, which of course during intercourse can be a positive thing. Um not
0: my experience, sadly.
1: <laughs> that was that was that was an intimate revelation. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Again, we'll chat about that over a pint later. I'm not saying
0: I have a problem, I'm just saying, you know. I, I wouldn't need it to go any quicker.
1: There are also people who say that it really makes no difference. Our listener who's written in has said that his was removed, his foreskin was removed for medical reasons. Mm.
0: And I know a surprising um, amount of people, actually, for whom that's happened.
1: And yeah, me too. Bizarrely.
0: I, 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 could, I, I, I don't know. what Generally speaking, men don't talk to me about their penises, but I... I know at least five people in my friendship circle who, over the age of ten, have have had circumcisions for medical reasons. So why why does that happen? It seems to be tightness is one thing, right? Uh huh. What else?
1: Tightness, occasionally tearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that that's happened good. to Gareth
0: Gates, didn't it? With Jordan, do you remember that?
1: Uh, I always think about Dane Bowers sticking his big toe in her face. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Uh, that's right. I yeah. met
1: Dane Bowers once. It was all I could think about where his foot had been mm. inside. Jordan's vaginal cavity I'll tell you
0: we're going on a massive uh, deviation now but when I think of Dane Bowers and Jordan in that video I think about their laundry basket because I've got the exact same one from Habitat (laughs) anyway (laughs) I know that Jordan tore Gareth Gates' foreskin because that's in her autobiography. Yeah,
1: so if your foreskin (laughs) gets torn, then you might have to be circumcised. If it's too tight, then you might have to be circumcised, although uh, not necessarily so. There are smaller procedures that can be carried out uh, to loosen the foreskin, or you can actually use uh, steroids, in some cases steroid creams or massage techniques to loosen it. And it is,
0: you know, a, a humiliating and or painful and or bothersome thing to happen to you as an adult. So you can see why people use that as evidence for why. Okay. <laughs> They want to, in some way, medicalize the process of what they're doing to their babies, which most people would say is unnecessary. The
1: thing is, though, that's not why it was medicalized in America, because he's talking about Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, and in America, around 80% of men are circumcised. Mm. One little boy every 30 seconds gets circumcised, although those numbers are falling now. Um, the original reasons for that were um, it's based on the theories of a doctor called uh, Dr. Louis Sayer. Um, Um, who had all sorts of quite strange ideas about how uh, the body's nervous system um, worked. He thought that basically pretty much everything came down to uh, dysfunction in the genitals, everything from... uh, Epilepsy to mental health issues to syphilis could be related to the foreskin by this guy. We now know that that's not true. So the medical reasons which were originally given for this mass circumcision of young men in America, we know that they're not true. Well,
0: and also, I mean, then there's the hygiene argument, isn't there? And again, you know, you do kind of think, when the 21st century, the, the answer is, well, you can Just use soap. Just wash yourself. Yes. But you yeah, can yeah. see, you can see how in Judeo-Islamic tradition, living in a desert, two, three, four, five thousand years ago, without access to fresh water that that kind of made sense you know to, to embed in the religion this ritualistic idea of circumcision because it was more likely to prevent those sort of hygiene related issues in True adults.
1: but all sorts of bits of you could get dirty in the desert and um, I'm inclined to think that chopping them off isn't the issue uh, isn't, isn't the solution rather I'm really aware that this is a very loaded topic and that many people have ideas about circumcision based on religion my personal view is that it is Unless the foreskin needs to be removed for proven medical reasons, if I had a son, I would leave it intact, because I, th- I think it. I think good personal hygiene can prevent most of the the issues that that can come from having a foreskin, and the benefits brought by a foreskin can be really, really immensely pleasurable.
0: Now, I, I am the Jewish father of a non-Jewish child, so I've just had this decision just now with my child, I could have chosen to have him circumcised, but it would have been a choice because he's not Jewish. So the the religious argument doesn't even hold sway because his mother isn't Jewish, we're not even married. And in the end, I've decided not to have him circumcised for all the medical reasons that you've talked about. But ultimately, what it kind of comes down to is that I think a lot of men feel they want their child to have the same penis as them. Yes. That in some way it would be alienating to have a child who has a different penis than them. And ultimately I kind of thought, well if I had a girl, she wouldn't have the same penis as me, I hope. Uh you know, if if the child was mixed race, then it would naturally look different to my penis anyway. So why am I getting hung up on this? And I decided to ignore it. But that pull is very strong and then this aesthetic pull as well, you know, almost self selectingly Uh, You know, if you've chosen to have a child with a circumcised man, then as a mother, you're more likely perhaps to find circumcised penises attractive. And perhaps that's why in America it continues to go on and on.
1: It's such a complex issue. But then there is this movement towards uh, foreskin regeneration as well. And there are a variety of ways that if you are a circumcised man and you want to find out what it's like to have a foreskin that you can get one there's yeah. three main ways in fact
0: well go on talk us about that because this is the second part of John's question should it be reconstructed i mean my answer to that is clearly no i think you've got a psychological disorder if you're that bothered about reconstructing your foreskin to be quite honest that to me suggests someone who has hang-ups about something else that is nothing to do with sensitivity of their penis
1: Potentially. A lot of men feel like they've been robbed of a key part of them and a key part of their um, their, their sexual sensation and their, and their potential sexual satisfaction. Yeah, but that is been, a, a slight psychological
0: witness, isn't it? That's what I mean. It's it, not, it is really it's not,
1: complicated.
0: It's, well, it's what it's I unlikely say, to really be affecting their sex life.
1: What I will say is if you want to regenerate your foreskin, you have to be very, very dedicated. All three techniques for doing so are difficult
0: right talk me through them because i remember on euro trash 20 years ago they did show a guy tying little weights to his what do you call it when it's not a foreskin the skin around the head of his penis no what, what do you do skin. now a no more skin yeah. yeah what do you do now
1: stretching it is the main way it's it's the the cheapest it's the <laughs> most proven uh, but it requires long term dedication. It's, there are a variety of ways to stretch the existing skin on your penis downward slowly over time so that um, it, it envelops the glands again. Some of these involve kind of little bits of elastic or um, plastic devices. You need to put long term tension on the penis for years.
0: Yeah, you've got to have a psychological problem to do that. If you're going to spend hours a day doing that,
1: But these are people's, it's people's bodies and it's their right to reshape their body and and I suppose do whatever they want to their bodies as consenting, sane adults. It's a niche
0: activity though, right?
1: Well, the, the other thing about these devices is that they're quite visible there is a technique using tape which um, is a little bit more discreet but if you're wearing one of these plastic devices uh, for long periods of time over a, over a series of years you you some of them you can kind of see them underneath people's trousers and stuff so you've got to be super committed if you want to put these little pulleys i think the the um, the, the official term used is tugging which mm. might mean something different to you and and your willy
0: What are the other two methods?
1: Okay, the second way that you can regrow your foreskin is to have a skin graft taken from your scrotum uh, and, and wrapped around the end of your wanger. Mm-hmm. um it has been used it has been proven to work but again, you, you've got to you've, you've give up a little bit there. of your ball sack yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're gonna have like, a small square tile taken off taken off your bollocks yeah. and then and then sewn to the the end of your todger so and again number three uh the third one uh is looking like it will be ready for human clinical trials in around 2019 so, this is, we're, this is never
0: the prelude to anything I want to do to my penis. Yeah, what this is, is it? This is
1: actually <laughs> applying a, very, a special fluid containing certain chemicals, which will I, I don't know all the science behind it, but it, it's, it's supposed to prompt the DNA within that area of your body to, to the, the cells to actually start regenerating wow. on, on their own. Goodness. There's, there's a company called Forgen, F-O-R-E-G-E-N, F-O-R-E-G-E-N mm-hmm. who are investing lots and lots of money into investigating how technology can be used to permit the foreskin to regenerate itself via the application of this special fluid.
0: It occurs to me there's a fourth option, which perhaps no one's exploring yet, which is donation. You talk about that with every other kind of organ, don't we? If there's lots of men who are getting circumcised for medical reasons, then presumably there's lots of adult foreskins in jars somewhere that could be appended to someone else.
1: Pretty sure that those skin grafts wouldn't work. They would be rejected by the body. However, back when I used to work at Bizarre magazine, I was contacted by a man who was into vor Um, That's people who like the idea of eating other people. Um, mm-hmm. of, of being cannibals mm-hmm. and he'd managed to find himself a friend who'd been circumcised and had donated his, his circumcised penis his circumcised foreskin, rather gift, yes. to this guy to eat like like a little calamari ring
0: Did he say what it tasted like?
1: It was a really weird letter <laughs> He went into a lot of detail about what he imagined it was going to taste like. Oh, he hadn't actually done it yet? No, he hadn't eaten it yet. Just
0: fantasized about it. But I mean. It's a bar snack, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not, you know, it's not even worthy of a meal. It's literally
1: a pork scratching. Well. Would you eat another man's foreskin? If it was like dipped in a light tempura batter and seasoned well.
0: And on that point, I think, ironically, I'm going to use the word cut. Uh, If you have a question for Alex of sex, then what do you do, Alex Fox?
1: You go to our website, which is modernman.co.uk, click on feedback, and then you can send me any question you desire.
0: See you next week. See you soon. Well, that's nearly it for this week's Modern Man. If you've enjoyed the show, please, as ever, take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It is a great way to reach out to other listeners around the world. And we now have a reviewer in Sweden. His name is Henrik Mortensen. Uh, Henrik, you have officially become our Swedish ambassador. Congratulations. Uh, I don't speak Swedish, so I had to put your review into Google Translate, and it came out as trends, investigative reporting and a question sex person part-making modern man to a fun and interesting podcasts it is super British strengthens the whole recommended uh, which sounds exactly like a Swedish person so well done Google here's our single of the week it's called Bermuda it's the new one from Givers it's out on April the 8th through Glassnote and Caroline International I've been Ollie Mann the producer Matt Hill and we'll see you next Tuesday
3: Enjoy.
0: So Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
0: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every week day wherever you get your podcasts.